And welcome to episode 86 of the Retrospectors podcast, Diddy Kong Racing. My name is Patrick Arthur, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, James Turlings. James, this is rapidly becoming a genre staple of this show, the racing game. Um, For a long time, I've forced FPS games upon you, I've forced stealth games upon you, and it feels like you're doing the same to me in kind. This is only like the fourth racing game we've done, whereas I feel like we're up to at least 20 stealth games <laughs> at this point. But um, I, I tried to pick... Uh, I like picking the the racing games that have a bit of bite to them. This one, you know, it's a kart racer. It's a bit more for a younger audience in some ways. But I remember as a kid, Diddy Kong Racing being one of the more challenging games in some aspects. And uh, oh boy, in some ways it did not disappoint. But, um, you know, as an adult, it wasn't that bad but uh i think we've um done all of the high speed races in the past with f-zero um star wars racer and uh burnout 3 yeah i've got to say this is a subgenre that's a bit of a black hole for me like i've never been into mario kart like i've played it once or two at friends houses but it's not really my kind of thing i've so i've never properly sat down and actually played one of these kart races you you were telling me the other day that you've played a fair bit of mario kart as well right james out of the racing genre kart racer is easily the one that i've got the most hours in by far um i've played every mario kart since the 64 version quite extensively um you know more recently with the the 3ds and the wii you <laughs> turn switch version um, of the most recent title. I did a lot of time trials and that kind of thing. As a kid, I played a lot of Diddy Kong Racing when we rented it from Blockbuster. And I owned a copy of Crash Team Racing, which I also played quite a bit. So I, I feel like I've played a lot of these. I've never really... Well, I, get, I guess with the time trials, I did sit down and try to get a bit better at Mario Kart. But um, no, not this one. Yeah, I feel like... This is going to be one of the main differences in our perspectives because I'll be largely comparing this to my other the other racing games I've played, none of which are kart races. Although I am, you know, on a baseline level familiar with Mario Kart, it's hard not to be. Whereas you've got a lot of points of comparison, but that that, that should make for an interesting discussion. Mm, yeah, and um, I was thinking of picking Mario Kart for our first kart racer, being the franchise most people are familiar with. But man, I always always at like during my childhood and during school diddy kong racing was the one people always had the most fond memories of and even today um when i talk to people they always mention how much they love this one and uh, i think the story mode actually makes a pretty good you know structure for the kind of things we do on this show mm-hmm. um yeah so we'll be doing diddy kong racing um for those who haven't heard of us before james and i make up the retrospectors podcast what we do each and every fortnight is we play classic games of the past with the intention of determining if they're worth your time to play today this is not a nostalgia podcast even though we may sometimes have experience with a game or genre what we're trying to do today is bring a very critical eye to these games to see if there's elements of their design um, that is stand up in the face of all the modern design evolutions that have occurred in the past 20 years 
So um, we hope you enjoy our discussion on Diddy Kong Racing. So firstly, a little bit of history just to contextualize what we're talking about. The game was first released in 1997, and it's a racing video game developed and published by Rare, originally for the Nintendo 64. It also saw a release 10 years later to the Nintendo DS, with the main difference being uh, the replacement of the silver coin challenge with a shitty mini game that you need to complete and then once you've done that you get the proper silver coin challenge it's also got some stupid gimmicky bullshit like uh removing the timing boost with instead of blowing on your microphone james just uh. as an aside i have to say all of this motion control touchscreen stuff all of this garbage i just think it's worse than using a controller it pissed me off with mario odyssey it would have pissed me off with this game and for that reason i cannot recommend the ds version under any under any circumstances uh, i've never played it myself either but everything else you just said just sends a bit of bit of fury through my blood uh that that blowing on the uh the microphone that's a very uh nintendo ds thing for the sake of you know gimmicky bullshit i, I really hate it myself as well i was shocked when mario odyssey has moves that require motion controls to execute like it requires it it's the only way to use it i was like aren't we past this like haven't we moved on <laughs> from this but but apparently not I, I i strongly object to it i i think that everything i don't mind those options being there as long as there's an analog way to execute those moves as well but if ever there is and if, if ever that option isn't there you should just go for the version which uh which doesn't require it so i we went for the Nintendo 64 version. Uh, we should talk about how we played it because we have actually changed emulators. Previously, we were using Project 64, but this time around, I used Moopin 64. I think you did as well, James. Yeah. Um. In the past, and you know, in high school, I'd always used Project 64. It's my 64 emulator as choice. Um. That wasn't based on any you know deliberate research on my behalf. It was just what everyone that I knew used. Um. This time around, I decided to look into it a bit more because last time we played a nintendo 64 title using this emulator uh very quickly got on my nerves that without paying money you had to sit through like a mandatory 10 second splash screen um before you could start using the emulator every time you booted it up uh, which I found infuriating enough that I, you know, did a bit of research. And from what I can see online, um, this is the current, you know, most popular choice for people who, you know, take emulation seriously. Um, my experience with Moopin64 was absolutely positive. When I opened up the game for the first time, the emulator had already mapped all of my buttons to uh, pretty reasonable selections. In fact, I didn't change them at all from what the defaults, you know, used. So that was a big plus for me. I basically set the internal resolution to four times to make it look a little bit nicer. And that was the entirety of the configuration I did for this episode, which was um, a lot less than usually I have to do for these kinds of things. Yeah, same here. Fantastic experience. And yeah, I appreciated the auto config of the controller because when we were doing Star Fox 64, that was a bit tricky to figure out a configuration that worked best for it. Um, but yeah, it worked really well. I had no issues. Yeah, none whatsoever. So basic premise of this game is that there's an evil space pig wizard called, rather unsurprisingly, Wizpig. He tries to take over this island that you're on, and he uh, gets the island's guardians, and he transforms them into his minions. 
Um, and apparently the only way to defeat him is to win a lot of races before you get to challenge Whizpig himself. Um, so the game basically involves competing in a series of races in carts, uh, hovercraft, and planes. With about we we don't have the exact percentages, but I think it's like fifty percent cart races, thirty percent plane races, and twenty percent hovercraft races. So there's a bias towards uh, the cart primarily, then more plane than hovercraft races. There's a series of twenty courses, and they're divided into five worlds. And there's a boss at the end of each world. One of those um, sets of courses, the final one, is kind of like a secret, semi-secret challenge at the end of the game that you can only do once you've done everything else. Uh, so I think where we'll start with our discussion, James, is just kind of with the hub of this game and the structural presentation of it. Not the excellent story? Oh, I, th- I thought we'd finished our story discussion. Did you have more to add, James? <laughs> no, not really. The, uh, the entirety of the story in this game is included uh, as some blurb inside the game manual. There is basically nothing whatsoever in-game, actually, um, which in some ways feels very dated, like you just start the game and you boot up and you're immediately you know, into the races. But in some ways, it's kind of nice not having to you know, click through a lot of pointless dialogue to get to the meat of the game. So, you know, it, uh, depending on how much you care about that thing, it could be a, you know, a plus or a minus. You shouldn't care about it. The story is just, yeah. it's not what this game is about. <laughs> and I exactly. I was going to extend that to the hub as well. So there's like a small hub world and the worlds are that you enter with the, with the four races per world are behind doors on this island. Um, there's some secret balloons on the island and your progress is a little bit gated by the number of balloons you collect. You get balloons for uh, winning races, basically, as well as, you know, there's a few to find on the overworld. There's some races uh, on the hub itself. Uh, James, for me, I found the existence of the hub to be a minor annoyance. And I think it's interesting because I think when this game would would have first been released, the hub would have been a thing that was celebrated as like this cool way to present all these races. Personally, I would have preferred if this was just all in menus. I I, I don't know if you were a bit stronger on than I was. That's a uh, controversial opinion there, Patrick. I remember strongly that the hub world was my favorite thing about this game back in the day Um, as a kid. Uh, finding all the little like hidden balloons and and actually some of the areas like that one behind the waterfall was a bit tricky for a child as an adult it is not very exciting at all to be honest um but i do think that there is some level of like this game gets a bit of personality by having it um one thing i think works in its favor is that it's not too big and i think it actually kind of functions as a tutorial of sorts because you can't actually start racing until you manage to drive your car into the race tracks um or into the you know the race door I think that's kind of nice. These days, the hub world comes across as pretty quaint, honestly. Mm -hmm. But the concept itself, I love to bits. I think it could be done better. There could be more hidden stuff around. It could be a little bigger with more secrets to find, that kind of thing. There could be, you know, NPCs wandering around other than just the one. They give it a bit more personality. But, you know, on the whole, like, I still enjoy it somewhat. It's just nowhere near as much as I used to. Yeah, and I should clarify, it's a minor annoyance. Like, I think that everything you said is true. Like, the World Hub isn't very big. 
it doesn't take long to get anywhere. It's just that from my perspective, I don't think it added to my experience. It was just uh, kind of like a thing. You know, it might take 35 seconds, but that's 35 seconds that I could have saved if this was just all nested in menus. So um, I, I, I guess if people love it, that's great, but it didn't add anything to the experience for me. Just give me menus like F-Zero GX or Star Wars Pod Racer. That's a preferable way for me to engage with these kinds of games. Yeah, I strongly disagree with that. I think that as a primarily single player focused experience, um, you know, this game and Crash Team Racing both benefit hugely from having an actual world to go around in. It does make the game world feel a bit more, you know, there. You know, it's not a huge thing, but to me there is a massive difference between just, you know, lifelessly scrolling through menus and going through this nice little hub. I do prefer this option like strongly for a single player focused title racing games are fundamentally lifeless like it's a very mechanically driven (laughs) experience i i just want it to be mechanically presented to me nice and cleanly so i'm not discounting you your enjoyment of it i can see why people would like it but for me give me the coldness of menus the the speed and you know lifelessness of menus the functionality of menus that's all i want baby uh it, i do want to emphasize it's not a big deal like i'm not like majorly offended by this like it's it's not a huge deal just uh it's not for me mm-hmm. uh so what happens after you leave the hub you go into one of these four worlds so you go through uh one of these balloon doors you have to go through you only have one balloon at the start so world one is locked in you got to go through it and then you have uh, a series of things available to you although not all of them are available right at the start so you've got these four standard races to do you've got bosses to defeat once you've finished the first four races and defeated the first boss you open up the silver coin challenges. There's a special mini game that unlocks by finding a key. And there is finally a Grand Prix mode that unlocks where you have to beat each of the four races in order with your points tallying over the course of the four races. So there's a lot to cover. So James and I talked about this. We think the best way to frame our discussion is to talk a little bit about the three different racing modes the cars, the plane, and the hovercraft. We'll get into the nitty-gritty of how these vehicles function and how the levels design works on like a basic level. And then we'll talk a little bit about all of these extra modes, which almost modifies to the essential racing experience. And I do want to talk a bit briefly about the structure of this game. Um, As you said, you start off the game with very limited options. Um, basically only being able to do the first five races, which, you know, serve as a pretty gentle introduction to the racing mechanics. Um, after a certain point, however, you do get enough balloons that you can start doing things in different orders. Um, you are suddenly able to access all of the different worlds. You don't have to go through the game, you know, in a linear fashion doing races in a set order, although you can if you choose to. Um, but for me, this time around playing Diddy Kong Racing, I played the levels in a very erratic manner, like oftentimes, you know, doing a bunch of different races from different worlds, depending on how I felt at the time, like I did. Decided that this time around I didn't really enjoy the coin door ra- uh, the key door races, so I did them all very early to get them out of the way. Um, and then, you know, I just bounced around doing whatever I found the most enjoyable at the time. And to me, This makes the game so much more enjoyable um, compared to having to do everything in a set order. 
I found a lot of enjoyment just being able to do the races that, you know, appealed to me in whatever order I wanted, really. It is interesting. I know we thought we put the hub discussion to rest, but it's rearing its ugly head again. I think that the design of the hub world basically discouraged me from doing anything other than the exact order I did them in, which is that I would complete a world completely. Because why would I be waste my time bouncing from hub to hub, waste that one minute it took me traveling between them just to diversify my races when I can save time just by doing them all in a row? So, uh, yeah, I was very boring. I did all the races, then I did the silver coin races, then I came back and did the Grand Prix at the end when I realized there are a requirement to progress through the game. The the let, let me say this. The existence of this slightly more open-ended structure is a good thing. I agree with you that having the option to do the different races in different orders is cool, uh, but for me, I didn't really engage with that system because of the nature of the hub world. It was easier just to finish a hub than move on to the next, then move around all the time. Yeah, that makes sense. Do you want to jump right into some of the nitty-gritty of the of the racing games? Yeah, so let's start with the kart racing then, Patrick. Um so as a uh a fresh newbie to the kart racing genre, how did you find jumping in with the basic kart racing? So the game started off pretty easy. Uh you can just kind of hold down accelerate and turn corners. Um I was enjoying it and then you started telling me about drifting and uh that's when the game started to get kind of interesting to me. Um, because there's a few different ways to drift in this game, some of which I found more useful than others. Yeah, I'd say the big things that distinguish kart races from other in the genre um, is the, you know, reliance on drift mechanics that use often very outlandish cartoony boost mechanics, um, and also the inclusion of items over the course, um, which can often act as, you know, catch-up mechanics or, you know, ways to interact with the other races by you know, dealing damage to them and spinning them out, that kind of Lane thing. Lane traps. Lane yeah. traps, you know, use hitting boost pads, finding cool shortcuts in the level. Um, I'd say that, you know, shortcuts, items, boost pads, um, and, you know, drifting are like the core things that make a kart racer fun to me. Um, and they were all here. So so where did you want to begin with that? Uh, well, let's, let's talk a bit about the controlling of the car itself. So uh, you go you know, not very fast compared to the other games we've been yep. doing. I guess that's the first thing that stood out. You know, we've come, my experience has come from Burnout 3, F-Zero, GX, and Pod Racer, which are all like extremely high speed races. In some ways, they're like reaction test races. Like there's there's so many times playing that game where you need to be either reacting or anticipating a turn ahead of time or you crash and die. Yep. In this, you it was a bit more forgiving in terms of speed and in terms of your ability to round corners. It wasn't very difficult to, to just get around the race course. Whereas in those other games, getting through the race in one piece was a challenge in and of itself. I, where the game started to get interesting to me was when I started doing drifting to optimize my movement. Although I have to say, ordinary drifting... I never really got the hang of, and I barely used throughout my entire time playing this. Did you use regular drifting, James? So I did try for a bit. I think something that separates Diddy Kong Racing's drifting to something like Mario Kart or even Crash Team Racing is that you don't get 
um, boosts by doing a drift for longer. Like in Mario Kart, if you hold a drift for a few seconds, then, you know, your wheels will start glowing. And when you let go of the drift, you'll get a free boost. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, that's not the case here. So in those games, you tend to like really strategically try to boost as much as possible, even down straight roads if you can. Um, in order to maximize the number of boosts you get. Uh, that's not the case here, and it's actually something I sorely missed, um, especially because there's like, there's two kinds of drifting basically, um, and I'd say three kinds of turning all up in Diddy Kong Racing, and I think the lack of boosting on your normal drift kind of hurts the game a little, um, because it makes the regular drifting that you're talking about obsolete once you discover tilt turning. Yep. Um, so my experience with Diddy Kong Racing, you know, coming back to it after a long time, um, and then hopping into it with the first few races, was that my gut reaction right at the beginning was that turning feels like ass in this game right mm -hmm. um i found it really hard to turn corners tightly um if i was going straight and there was like an item balloon like just to the left of me i would find that if i turned left my car would swing to the right and miss the balloon which felt very unintuitive to me it's fairly narrow as well yeah. like the item pickups in your cart is a narrow space. yeah like the balloons the bananas that we can talk about and the, the the boost pads are all very thin so it's very easy to like miss them which is a which is a good thing i will note i i don't think that's room that's necessarily a criticism it's just like uh there's more challenge to hitting those things than you might think yeah honestly this rubbed me the wrong way to begin with like i was finding the game a little frustrating to begin with um but by the end of the game um once i had started using all the different types of turning and understood the movement a bit better um it was actually really satisfying to move through the maps um as you progress through the game you'd get these kind of help pop-ups that teach you about like advanced mechanics almost um and once you start making use of these you actually find out you have a huge degree of control over your cart in these races. Um, for example, like we mentioned, you have the normal turn, you can press brake to turn a bit faster, you can press drift to turn at a, like, a wide angle. It's barely useful, yeah. <laughs> the drifting, I found. Like, why do you want to turn at a wide angle? I, I didn't really understand. Maybe there was some niche angle you're meant to slide through by drifting but i found it was never optimal but maybe i'm just misunderstanding yeah that's kind of how i landed on it too um until i landed on the tilt turn which is when yep. you you drift and then press brake which doesn't really slow you down that much but you turn on a dime when you do this yep. um which just completely changed the way i play the game like suddenly i was able to take corners very tightly very specifically i was able to hit item boxes and you know boost pads pretty you know consistently by the end of the game to, to give you an idea of how tight it is it's basically a 90 degree turn if you can time it correctly. If you go up to a boost pad at a 90 degree angle and you do this tilt turn at the correct time for the correct length of time, you will boost off that boost pad. Like it's insane. Yeah, it's insane. And kind of what this all adds up to meaning is that throughout my, you know, whole playtime of this run of Diddy Kong Racing, I felt like I was kind of constantly making incremental improvements to my turning, which 
was really good actually. I found that this made the game really fun to like progress through because I was constantly learning how to turn a little bit tighter with a little bit more accuracy. And even though at the start of the game it felt very clunky to me, because there was this huge like learning curve that I got to do from beginning to end, it kind of made the experience engaging from start to finish in terms of like not just learning the maps but learning to control my character and to me that's really important um i think that like in mario kart there are like little things you can do to get better at racing continuously um but this game there was a lot that i had to optimize about the way i played and i found it really really enjoyable yeah, the skill ceiling on this game is very high, and I feel exactly the same way as you do, James. This tilt turn is extremely powerful. In some ways, it's like ridiculously overpowered, yep. but it's balanced in the fact that it's so difficult to execute correctly. Because you turn on a dime as quickly as you do, it is very easy to mess up, to hold down that tilt turn for slightly too long or slightly too short then you crash into a wall, you've lost all speed, and three people overtake you. <laughs> Happened all the time. And there was this real degree of uh, risk and reward. Like you could, you were often put in spots where you could go for that boost pad at a 90 degree angle, or you could not. And going for that boost pad at a 90 degree angle, even though it was possible, doesn't mean it was easy yeah. or reliable to do. So I completely agree. I, I found that the more I played this game, the better I got at controlling. And I don't think I was anywhere close to mastering my control over the racer. I really, really enjoyed the kart racing in this game. I had shitloads of fun and it was only um, emphasized further when we, we got into the silver coin challenges, which we'll talk about yeah. later. Um, and I think this is kind of where the like the narrowness of the item boxes and the boost pads also plays a big role. It is really hard to hit these things to begin with, like consistently. Like I missed boost pads and I missed items all the time until I started, you know, using the tilt turn to its fullest extent, which later on I found that I had to like aim away from the pad and then like drip side into it to hit them. Uh, it was like it was very satisfying to master once I got there. So. Uh, I think if you play this game and you find it to be a bit slow and clunky to begin with, I would encourage you to press onwards because you will hit this point where mm. you get this immense amount of satisfaction that is kind of characterized by that, you know, those clunky opening hours, which I think makes, you know, the satisfaction and the enjoyment later on, you know, more so. And the game escalates in challenge to the point where you will be required to use these tools. Yeah. It's not like they exist and you can just hold down accelerate to get around these courses. You must use these tilt turns if you want to get through the game. So um, it really, the, the game by virtue of, of its design gets you to engage with these mechanics. Yeah. Now, the next thing I wanted to talk about is the item system because Diddy Kong Racing takes a fairly different approach to Mario Kart um, in the way that it does its itemization, um, which is like in Mario Kart, there are boxes all over the map and inside them is a random item. And if you are coming in last place, you get better items than if you were coming in first place. And what this does is it essentially acts as a rubber banding mechanic to keep the players close together and really makes for a good, you know, 
uh, multiplayer experience, you know, with a group of friends of different skill levels. I I hate it, James. I hate it. Also, also Mario Kart has rubber banding, is worth mentioning. Like, it literally just has rubber banding. You, you hate it in Mario Kart? Is that what you're saying? Uh, yes, I hate rubber banding. I hate catch-up mechanics. It makes me want to spew. <laughs> well, they are good for party games uh, when you are... Um, and that's a good point because it is really frustrating to lose to these kind of things, right? When you are, you know, winning and suddenly you get hit by a blue shell or a lightning bolt um, out of nowhere and you suddenly lose the race. What's the point of playing, James? Just just shoot me. I hate it so much. I, words cannot describe how much I hate party games like that. Diddy Kong Racing doesn't take that approach, actually, which I was very grateful for, um, and I imagine Patrick is as well. Um, Diddy Kong Racing's item system is a lot more deterministic. Um, so instead of an item box with a random item, you instead have different colored balloons, um, red, green, blue... Uh, there's a yellow, purple, and like a, a, a rainbow one as well. So there's five in total. Um, and each of these has a guaranteed item inside them. For example, the red one has a rocket. The blue one has a speed boost. The green one has an oil slick. And they always have these items. Um, the second part that makes these items a bit different to the way Mario Kart works is that if you have a red rocket item, and you hit a second red balloon before firing the rocket off, it will upgrade your item to a level 2 rocket, which gains the ability to home in on targets. And if you hit a third one, you get 10 rockets that don't home, but obviously is very powerful. Um, so each of the item sets has three tiers of power. Um, and this kind of, to me, worked in a single-player game a lot better than Mario Kart's item system did. I found that I basically never lost a match randomly to, you know, an item unexpectedly right at the end, which happens all the time in Mario Kart. Um, and it kind of adds this layer of strategy um, of which routes you take through a course in order to hit certain items. Sometimes when you have three red balloons, one of the shortcuts will have a green balloon and you don't want to lose your rocket so you need to like either dodge the green balloon to save your rocket or you know take the other path to avoid it entirely i i actually really like this system and i think that it was a big part of my enjoyment of the game i think the other thing to note is that they are lower power level than mario kart's items yes like when when they get to level three they are comparable but even then they are weaker than some of mario kart's strongest items and I like this. Like, I like the inclusion of items in these games, but the items should always come secondary to your racing ability. They should be there to augment the racing, not replace them. So having items a little bit on the weaker side is is a good thing. Um, so I agree with you, James. I think the balloons are excellent. And I think that uh, I'm edging into level design a bit here, but I think they did a really good job creating different incentives on the track. Uh, yep. to make the decision of what to go for more interesting because balloons bananas and boost pads are often set up in interesting configurations where you cannot get everything and you have to make decisions every time you go around the track as to which one to prioritize yeah something i also really liked about the items was that with the rockets in particular i think that there is an argument to be made for all three levels depending on what's going on in the match like the level one rocket 
is very hard to actually aim, I found. Like, actually hitting people with it is a bit of a challenge. But if you do hit somebody with it, with a red rocket, it's pretty, it's pretty like, efficient. Um, for example, if you get the level 2 rocket, you're spending, like, two red balloons on one homing rocket, whereas you could, like, you could use two rockets to hit two different people, but if you were good enough. Um, and then, you know, the level 3 rocket is absurd, but it loses the homing, so if somebody's quite a bit ahead of you, you know, you can't actually hit them with the rockets because they're around turns. So I actually often found myself prioritizing all three um, differently depending on what was happening in the race. I don't think this is true for the other items as much, but with the rockets, there was this kind of like decision making that I really appreciated. I did find certain items more useful than others. The yep. um, the balloon that dropped a trap behind you was fine, although most of the time I just dropped it immediately when people were on my tail. Yep. The shield was also uh, medium useful. I uh, definitely had a couple of times where I used a boost and basically used it offensively to run into other races to spin them out. But by far the most useful balloon was the boost balloon. And whenever I could get a blue boost balloon, that's what I was prioritizing 100% of the time because getting an advantage and closer to winning is almost always going to be better than uh, taking out a single racer or laying behind a single trap. Yeah, I, there was a couple of instances with the level design that incentivized you to use the shield balloon, actually. Um, one of these is in the snow level. There are these, like, you know, big snowballs rolling down a hill. If you have a shield, you can just drive through them and save a bit of time on turning. Um, and then later in the game, there is this, like, space corridor. It's a plane level that has these lasers all through it. Um, and if you go for the boost pads, you will get hit by a laser. But if you pick up, you know, a shield, you can hit all the boost pads and gain a bit of speed. So I did like that the level design sometimes incentivized different items. I thought that was cool. Um, just in general, I think the whole thing's great, honestly. It's not infuriating. It's skill testing in a lot of ways. And items are just fun, right? Like, mm -hmm. that, they're, they're just enjoyable to get and use. Yep, enjoyable to get news, and it's not the most, it's not the end of the world if you get hit by one of these items. You just pick yourself up and keep going because they're on the lower end of power level. James, I had a question about the level design here. Are these races a little too short and simple, or is this just what is normal for car racing games? I do think that they're shorter and simpler than normal compared to okay. other kart races, especially modern ones. Even, uh, I think. Crash Team Racing had a bit more complexity to its tracks. There is some interesting stuff here with little shortcuts scattered around the place. Um, and, you know, in some tracks, it's very obvious that they were designed for multiple vehicles, which I think is neat. Although, you know, in the single player, you don't touch on that too much. Um, but there's not a heap of variety outside of the visual design here. I do think a lot of the variety comes from the game modes and the kart types rather than the individual level design being particularly spectacular. Um, I think part of this suffers a bit from, like I said, the boot, the drifting, not giving boosts, because when you can do that, um, I think the levels and the turns become more interesting. But there are a lot of like very circular tracks with not like one shortcut, maybe. Um, and to me, most of the good stuff in the track design comes from the placement of items, boosts, and bananas. Well, the, the thing that stood out to me compared to F-Zero GX and Podracer is that there are parts of those tracks which are 
extremely difficult to just get through. Like yep. it's a struggle. Like taking the corners is really difficult, and it will sometimes get make you take several difficult corners in a row. And you're trying to keep your speed up to max while taking these corners. There were maybe a couple of tracks that had a couple of sharp turns in a row, but for the most part, you can just blast through these courses at full speed. And maybe that's just how these kart races are designed but i guess i didn't find the level design intrinsically challenging in a way that i have done in other races i've played yeah i think that this is a shortcoming of the game i do think that compared to other kart races the level design is a bit on the mundane side um and that it is carried a bit about it by its fundamental mechanics um and an item placement like it's not it's not that the it's not, like obviously a lot of thought has been put into the itemization and the placement of the items and the placement of the booze pads like it's not that i have a problem with it it's just the uh i guess the layout of these tracks that i'm taking a little bit of issue with yeah they do a reasonable job theming the levels like each of the worlds has its own theme like you've got the dinosaur world the snow world uh tropical island uh castle village in space and I think amongst these like kind of biomes they do get a bit of variety like to me the ones that stand out you know that map with the snowballs coming down the hill um mm -hmm. the water levels with all the little jumps and shortcuts you can take uh the one that goes in that spiral through that pirate ship um I think there is like enough variety here and that the rest of the game kind of compensates for you know, what is generally I would consider weaker track design than other kart races, but I never, like, I, there's only, like, one or two tracks which I probably disliked. Um, it's just I didn't get a huge amount of, you know, enjoyment. Kind of forgettable, right? There are a few that you just, you, you forget about, you know, and when I came back to do the Grand Prix, some of them I was like, oh, this is a race. <laughs> yeah, it, it is a bit like that at times. Well, James, did you have anything else on the kart races, or shall we go to a music break? Yeah, I think it's time for a music break. I know you're going to pick the Whizpig theme for your uh, <laughs> track, so I'll, I'm going to pick something a bit more like bright and cheerful to, before we go into the big bad boss music. So um, I picked Crescent Island, which I really liked all of the water levels, actually, and this was probably one of my favorites. I think that the tune is great. Something that I really liked about the soundtrack is that every single level has a unique piece of music for it. I think that adds to the game a lot. I think it makes each level feel a bit more distinct where its track design doesn't, especially things like the haunted woods um, or, you know, the volcano plane level, stuff like that really sticks out in my mind because of the music rather than, you know, the track design, which, you know, is ov overall, I'd say a negative, but music wise, pretty happy with it. This music's way too upbeat for me, James. Like, <laughs> I, uh, I actually do think this is a good soundtrack, though. Like, there's been soundtracks we've done where I've just, like, actively disliked it. This is a soundtrack where I can listen to it, even kind of enjoy it at points, but it really isn't the soundtrack for me. It's too happy and upbeat, and even, like, the Haunted Woods, as you said, it just feels like a half-assed attempt to create a haunted atmosphere. It's like fake haunted. It's like spooky. It's like, it's not it's not like oppressive haunted. It's like fun and spooky. The whole theming of this game is so disgustingly cute and fuzzy that <laughs> and that comes down to the music as well. Like one of the only themes that's like genuinely anxiety inducing is that Whizpig theme that we're gonna hear later. But yeah, I, I think this is a good soundtrack. Um 
I thought it was fine. For me, it's just never going to be my kind of music. And a few times I did have to take my headphones off because it was just getting a bit too much. Um, but but it's it's a good soundtrack. If you like this kind of stuff, there, as James said, there's a heaps of variety. Every single track has its own OST. There's not a whole lot to complain about objectively here. Yeah, so this is the Crescent Island theme. Hope you guys enjoy. that was the crescent island theme so speaking of the water tracks let's talk a bit about the extra carts um the hovercraft and the plane um as a kid this was the number one reason why i thought this game was awesome um i loved messing about the levels with the different race cars and you know the plane and all of that kind of thing as an adult i'm less high on them i think that they are in some ways a bit less fleshed out than the the basic racer but i gotta say some of the like when the hovercraft levels were good i really loved them um there was two in particular um in the the water area with the uh, i think it was whale lagoon and the pirate area um that had some really fun little jumps that you could do over terrain to do make shortcuts and when you're jumping about just absolute bliss uh, less high on stuff like the one with the spinning logs and that kind of thing, but, you know, I would say it's still added to my enjoyment of the game. Yeah, uh, I think you're completely correct. And in fact, if you read retrospective reviews of this game, one of the things it loves that people love to talk about is, look, it has cars, planes, and hovercrafts. Look at this cool game. But for me, this game would have been better if it was just kart racing. Like if they'd just done a lot more <laughs> car racing. I I find it bizarre that you enjoyed the hovercraft stuff because number one, I thought that the hovercraft controlled like shit. Number two, I got FPS drops in these in these levels. Sometimes it felt like it was dropping 15 to 20 FPS and the game is only running at 30 FPS as a base anyway compared to the silky smoothness of you know 60 FPS, F-Zero and um, Pod Racer. So I found that kind of shitty in and of itself. But I think the real issue was how the hovercraft controlled did did you not have the same issues i did controlling that that thing so turning is a bit more difficult i found but what i found you can do with the level design is that often at corners there will be something you can jump on and when you're in the air you do actually get a bit more control over your direction 
So in these levels, it was basically my goal to be jumping as much as possible. I found that I lost less speed doing this as well. And like, there's that one level where you turn and then there's a ramp over a wall with like a blue boost balloon on it. Mm -hmm. And you just go flying over to the, you know, the finish line on that level. It's so fun. Um, When, like, it is a bit clunkier at first, but when you master you know, jumping around constantly, it becomes really enjoyable, I found. And when the levels don't let you do that, then that's when they start to get a bit shitty. I think my other problem with these levels, which may seem counter to what I was just saying before, is that they were trivially easy because the NPC races didn't use those shortcuts anywhere near as effectively as you could. Yep. Like there were huge areas where you would cut a corner that the race other races wouldn't do, and they seemed to be moving in slow motion. So what I wanted to do was I wanted to get out through these races as quickly as possible, and I usually did them on first try. Even the silver coin challenges on these, I usually did first try. So I found them, you know, the game didn't really challenge me to master controlling it, because just controlling this thing shittily at a baseline level was enough to win these races. And it makes me wonder if they didn't have much confidence in, I guess, the fun level of the hovercraft. And that's why they made them easier than the other races. Yeah, I, I felt that way too. They are very easy. I beat all of them first try, to be yeah. fair. But the moment-to-moment -moment feel of jumping around, I, I don't care if it's easy. Like, it's just fun to control is how I landed on it. Like, mm -hmm. by far, those two, you know, water races in that water area are my favorite tracks in the game just because they feel the best to play that's um, so weird to me yeah it's hard for me to get to grips with because i think the kart racing is just so much more engaging and interesting like it gives you so much control over the kart but gives you so much rope to hang yourself if you stuff it up and the game's challenge is high enough that you must master it in order to beat some of these races whereas the hover car races I mean, I'm I'm surprised you enjoyed it as much, but the game doesn't challenge you to master those mechanics in the same way. So I got far more enjoyment spending the 30 to 45 minutes it took me to, to win the Frosty Village race, I guess, slowly getting better and better than I did on any hovercar, hovercraft race. Yeah, for me, I think a large part of the appeal of kart races is how enjoyable it feels to control. Um, much more than any, you know, difficulty or decision making or improvement. Um, you know, the feeling of playing the game matters the most. Mm -hmm. um, while it was extremely satisfying to master the turning um, of the carts, it was, you know, it did require a lot of effort. And I found that to be a bit too much at times. Like I just wanted to sit there and enjoy the feeling of zooming around. I just wanted it to be easier at times, to be honest. Like, um, in Mario Kart, just the feel of drifting around corners and nailing them, it feels really good, even though it doesn't require as much effort as the turning in this game. Um, the hover race has kind of hit that box for me where it was like, I'm not being challenged at all, but it just feels really good and relaxing to play. So I agree with everything you're saying, but those things are kind of making them more enjoyable for me in a way. Okay. Um, what do you think of the planes? I know you were bitching about it earlier in the week to me. Um... Man, it's really funny because as a kid, I was obsessed with the plane levels. I thought they were the coolest thing ever. Um, as an adult, I think these are easily the weakest. Um, 
I do think that the plane levels are quite enjoyable in the silver coin challenges because they do some interesting things with the layout sometimes, but I don't think the movement feels as good as the hover cart, and I don't feel like the mechanics are as deep as um, the normal race car, so I ended up liking these the least significantly. Um, that's not to say that I hated these races, like, they were fun to do one in every five races, you know, and that's kind of the balance that they went with. Um, just I'm a lot less high on them than I used to be, I guess. I pretty much fall the same way. They're kind of bland, is how I'd describe them. There's way less in terms of optimization because there's no, uh, there's, it doesn't really give you like a series of sharp corners or like difficult paths to fly up and down and around through. Yep. The closest to that is one of the boss battles where your movement gets restricted. And I actually, and even though I found it frustrating at first, I ended up enjoying figuring out how to optimize my way through that boss battle because it was actually challenging me to move my plane in specific ways, something yep. that you're not required to do in the other maps. But yeah, for the most part, it's just kind of bland and boring and is just about hitting the boosts. And if you can do that, then you'll win all the races. I do agree that the two boss battles or three boss battles that use the uh, the plane are the best ones. And then there's a couple of the silver coin challenges. I think the one in the mm. windmills was quite enjoyable. The first two are a bit whatever, but, you know, the windmill level and the bosses were quite fun. Um, and overall, I'd say my enjoyment of the game is more because of this inclusion. It's just not, you know, as fleshed out as I'd want it to be. Um, I think a part of that is that it's it's just a bit harder to design enjoyable obstacles for the plane. Mm -hmm. I think in the second Whizpig fight, they do a really good job of challenging you to master the plane's movement, and it's at that point where I liked controlling it. Um, but that was at the very end of the game, and up until that point, I was just I was just happy to do the plane levels. I wasn't, you know, super optimistic about doing them. Yeah, and I think that that's what it boils down to. It's not that I hate the plane levels and the hovercraft levels. It's more that I wanted more cart levels, and I'd say mm. that's more what it is. I enjoyed the cart levels so much. I enjoyed the silver coin cart levels so much that every time I got a hovercraft or plane level, one of those potential cart levels was being taken <laughs> away from me. And yep. I think that's a good way to think about it. It's not that these are terrible. It's that I hold the cart levels in such high esteem, and the fact that only 50% of the gameplay experience is those cart levels is kind of a little frustrating for me to uh, to think about. Did you want to talk about the coin challenges now that we've spoken about the regular races? I know you've been itching to uh, dive into this. I, I would love to. It's so funny. When I when I first said this to James, he laughed at me because I'm like, man, because I, I was so excited. I was like, the silver coin challenges redefine the entire race and james scoffed at me a bit but i really believe it you know i watched a few reviews of other people's like opinions of these games and not all of them but several of them called the silver coin challenges the only black spot on an otherwise fun game <laughs> to, that, and that uh, kind of makes sense yeah i'm <laughs> so mad because <laughs> uh, so what this these silver coins are is so on each race, there are eight silver coins and they're distributed around the racetrack. So there'll be some in shortcuts, there'll be some off the beaten path, like on the edge of races, some like 
some of them will be easier like right in front of boost but they're kind of distributed throughout the racetrack and in order to defeat these courses you need to pick up those eight coins at some time during your three laps and james these are the best idea i've seen in a racing game ever because it transforms what is a game purely about optimizing a one specific path through the racetrack into a dynamic experience so you need to come up with a strategy to hit these eight coins which usually take almost every single one takes you off from the optimal path and then you need to adapt that strategy on the fly depending on how successful you were at actually hitting those coins we've talked a lot about how difficult it is with these sharp turns to actually make your way through the track successfully all, most of the coins on that track will require you to nail some sharp turns in order to get through and it's very easy to screw up so every single time you miss one on one you have to do an on the spot reassessment of how am i going to get this coin to win this race they are marvelous they they to me completing these tracks normally is not the real game the silver coin challenges are the real game and it is the most fun i've had with a racing game ever like it's just really fun from start to finish i love how the game changes and transforms depending on how successful you are as you move through them james are you as high as i am or maybe a bit lower I'm not as high as you are, but I do agree that they are like a very good point of the game. Uh, one of the things that I do like is that as you practice the levels, you kind of reconfigure your strategy for getting the coins. Um, mm -hmm. One thing we haven't mentioned is the existence of bananas, um, which every banana you collect um, increases your top speed by a little bit, up to a maximum of 10 bananas, at which point you go you know, the maximum speed that your cart will go. Um, and these, you know, there's often this interesting, like, decision between do I, you know, pick up the coins or do I spend my first lap getting as many bananas as possible so that um, when I do pick up the coins, you know, I'm going fast so I don't lose that much time. Um, mm. There's the consideration of do I pick up items, you know, at certain points. And oftentimes coins, bananas, boost pads and balloons will be you know, all in the same spot in different areas, and you kind of have to make this decision about which to get. Sometimes a coin will force you to hit a, you know, a green balloon, getting rid of your rocket or boost that you, you know, value highly, stuff like that. I think they do a really good job of making the tracks a bit more interesting and kind of forcing you to master them, because you really do need to master turning and routing and planning in order to get through a lot of these. And you've only got three laps to get them, but you do get three laps to get them. And I think this is a really important thing. You can fail to get a coin and it's not like the race is over. That's the, that's the key thing. These, the silver coin challenge does not demand perfection because even when coins are on different parts of the track, you can still get them all in two laps. Like if it's a if it's a split path, you can easily get them all in two laps. So you have multiple opportunities every single lap to get the coins. So you get to do the race from start to finish, not restarting 10 seconds in because you missed the first coin. It's 
it's such a simple design, but it's such a good one for keeping you engaged in the outcome of the race from start to finish. I, I have never played a racing game where I will get to the very end of the race this many times, but the Silver Coin Challenge encouraged me to do that over and over again, even if I was falling short each time. It does do that a bit, um, and there is this tendency with um, game modes like time trials and boss battles and stuff like that, that if you muck up at the start, the game's over. The Silver Coin Challenge does let you play, you know, mm -hmm. the whole of the track and doesn't get annoying with its restarting, um, which, you know, I agree with that. I will say that the Silver Coin Challenge creates this kind of dynamic where you are trying and failing um, quite a bit on the same thing for a while. Sometimes, you know, you can spend 20 minutes trying to do one of these for a while. So, you know, if you're the kind of person that just wants to, you know, have a good time with the race and doesn't want to get into the nitty gritty and grind out those races, this could be a bit annoying. Like, I remember as a kid, I didn't like these very much. Now and as an adult, I do enjoy these. Not as much as Patrick, but I think that they will appeal to a certain type of player that likes to be challenged and likes to push themselves to improve over and over again until they succeed. Um, but, you know, I think one of the big strengths of this game is its ability to cater to lots of different skill levels, and I think that the Silver Coin Challenge is an important part of catering to the, you know, the players who are getting a bit better at the game. Yeah, it just, um, I guess it, it took that idea of strategy that existed with the balloons and boost pads and bananas and it it added like a much more deep meaningful layer to the whole thing to me so so i yeah i i love these and even stuff like the hovercraft races and the plane races suddenly i was engaged with them because even though i didn't love the moment to moment mechanics i didn't think they were as deep as the kart races there was still an element of strategy in how i approached the the races and you know when to get these coins and i was changing my approach can i risk going for this boost when going into the boost will take me you know past the silver coin unless i turn super abruptly like it it just made the the process of racing, it was filled with, it felt like it was filled with meaningful decisions. And I think that that's something that in a lot of racing games I feel is lacking, this notion of strategy. And Diddy Kong Racing, I feel, is chock full of strategy. Now, it, maybe if you're a pro kart racer, this stuff is all baby's yeah. first thing and you can just sail through these, these, these races with no problems. But for me, it turned this game into a very compelling experience. So... Yeah, I, I love the Silver Coin Challenge. I think every single racing game moving forward should incorporate this into their, <laughs> into their, they should. I mean, if Mario Kart doesn't have them, it should have them. Like, mm -hmm. it's, it's fantastic. Love it. I think it's simple but brilliant design. It'd be very easy to include, you know, with modern online components, like every week they randomize a level with coin placements and then they hold a leaderboard for that week with this mm -hmm. one track. You know, yeah. they could do that. That would, I think that would be a really cool feature. I do say that this part of the game was when some of the primitiveness of the level design started to rear its ugly head to me more than, mm -hmm. you know, when I was going through them normally. 
there's a lot of places in this game that could have used a bit of quality of life or, you know, QA testing to be a bit better. There are all sorts of these sharp edges and corners that if you hit them at the wrong angle, you'll just completely stop your cart and, you know, just end the race. Um, one in particular is in the village level. There is a shortcut that's not a real shortcut. And it has these like hard edges on the tunnel that if you hit them, you may as well just restart the race because you're coming to a complete stop. I think a lot of modern racing games do a really good job of smoothing everything out so you will lose a bit of speed if you go off the track or you bump into a wall. Um, but in Diddy Kong Racing, I found that bumping into things would often spell complete doom for me. Um, and that was very frustrating, I found, especially when... You know, mastering the turning is such a big part of it. You will often make mistakes, and I did often find myself like bumping into things at a really awkward angle that would cause a restart. Um, it, it's so funny you say that, James, because this didn't even register as a problem for me because the previous racing games I've played are Pod Racer and F Zero GX. <laughs> and in F Zero GX, if you fly off the edge of the track, they go, yep, you've lost this race. Last place, zero points. <laughs> you have three lives. If you run out of those lives, you lose the Grand Prix. So I found, yes, it is punishing when you crash. But to me, that's just part of racing games. Like, it, mm -hmm. it's like a, it's appropriate negative reinforcement. Like, that, it's fine for me. I did find specifically that the plane hitbox was, I felt it was ever too slightly wide. Yeah. Like, I felt like I would clip the tiniest pixel on the edge of something and it would send me ricocheting back. I was like, yep. can't they make the hitbox slightly smaller? I think it yeah. would feel better. <laughs> yeah, there was lots of little things like that that I noticed that really got on my nerves occasionally. It wasn't a huge deal breaker, but it is noticeable. Um, mm -hmm. Having played a lot of more recent titles um, that kind of smoothed this out a bit, like, you still get punished in newer games. It's just like, even in Pod Racer, if you crash, like, your vehicle experience loads and then it puts you directly back in the middle of the track mm. like sometimes if you hit into a corner you can get stuck and have to like reverse and then go like it's way worse than exploding and respawning sometimes i noticed it happened mostly with the plane like with the yeah. cart i felt like it rarely happened but with the plane definitely the there were some races ended yeah by that happening but you know just fly better like it's not so hard to fly that you can't well, the, the, it's not like you're being forced through tiny gaps very often. Like, yep. it, I, I generally felt like when you were crashing into something, it was your own fault. So I, I found this less of a problem. The punishment felt appropriate given the, I guess, how, the, the, e, the ease of, the, of how easy it was to get through the track. Mm -hmm. But on the whole, you know, Silver Coin Race is pretty good and uh, a lot more enjoyable as an adult than it was as a kid, for sure. So I guess the next thing to talk about is the boss races, um, specifically, you know, the boss races at the end of each world. Um, you do each of these once to begin with, and it's not too challenging. And then the second time you fight them is a lot more difficult generally, and you need to kind of do them a few times to work out a strategy because each of the bosses kind of has its own gimmick. Um, for example, the first one is a Triceratops that will knock down these rocky pillars. 
Um, if you manage to get ahead of him at the start, you can get in front of the falling rocks, but if not, tough luck, you have to move around them. There is an octopus that drops bubbles or landmines behind it as it races, and generally these bosses are very speedy and will get off the start line much faster than you will, even with a good boost start. Um, how did you feel about these? I remember these being extremely challenging as a child, um, and I still found a couple of them pretty tough as an adult. Um, but, you know, on the whole, I enjoyed basically all of them. Um, I like them a lot. Uh, I think that yep. they were an interesting diversion from the regular racing. I think that they were challenging. I think they had that same uh, element of strategy that the rest of the game has, where there are balloons specifically positioned that you need to deviate to slightly to get and in some instances it feels like you're required to get some of these balloons in order to get an advantage um the only downside with them is that they all seem to operate on this principle of being difficult to catch up to them but the moment you overtook them the race was easy mode so yep. it was kind of like the race was more about getting ahead of them than winning the race there wasn't really a tug of war back and forth but, you know, for what they are, they were good fun. And um, I'm interested to hear what you eventually thought of the dragon, because you were you were bemoaning that dragon oh, race Oh, it was to me. so hard. Like, even Bruh. as a kid, we all knew that that second dragon race was the hardest of the bosses by, like, a lot. But I um, liked it. Like, I thought it was... I, I, I gradually got better and better and better at it. And, yeah, I enjoyed it a lot. Yeah, I did too eventually. It was frustrating to begin with. Like you said, the bigger, the slightly too big hitbox was a bit frustrating. There's a lot of mm. balloons that are behind these like rocky, you know, stalactites or stalagmites um, on the side and that, you know, it's quite a narrow gap to get the balloon and not hit the wall. That was frustrating at first. But once you get there, you know, you, you can, it is pretty fun. And he leaves his fire traps in the same place every single time. So you can eventually optimize a path, like a safe path through the level with enough tries. Mm, I think I liked the walrus the best myself. Like, again, I just liked the levels at that area. Um, mm. I found him quite difficult to get ahead of, which, you know, generally when, when I finally beat him, it was right at the end with a few well-placed rocket shots. Um, which I found to be a bit more engaging than, you know, when I finally beat the dragon, I got ahead of him right at the beginning and then never lost my lead. Um, the same with the Triceratops and, and the, octopus. the octopus. Yeah, yeah. but the, the walrus I found had this problem a bit less. Yeah, right at the end, he gains a bit of a speed boost as you're coming down the hill. Yeah. <laughs> so you really need to hit a boost on that final thing or it'll overtake you. Yeah, mm. yeah so I, I thought they were a good inclusion to the game. Yeah, and I like that you do an easier version of them to begin with. I think it gives kids and, you know, people playing that aren't going to beat the harder ones, you know, a bit of content um, and something to do. And it gives you, you know, an intro to the race before the big serious showdown. And let's uh, let's talk about the big showdown. What many people <laughs> famously see as the most difficult race in the entire game, the Whiz Pig race. So, James, you you knew what this was going to be like going in. Oh, were my you, God. Were you scared? Yeah, I was never able to beat this as a kid. Most of the people I knew who owned this game weren't able to beat this fight. So, like, to me, this, this fight had this reputation of being, like, extremely hard. Um, you know, the, the fight starts with you and your cart and the countdown, and Wispig immediately 
sprints way ahead of you. Like I think he starts before the the finishing signal goes because he's a dirty cheater. All the bosses uh, do that though. Yeah, all the bosses do that. But Whizpig is the the worst, uh, and he laughs at you as he does it. Um, and the the prick has the audacity just to be running with his two feet while you use a car. Just <laughs> it's just ultimate Chad move there. This fight was really hard. Uh. It kind of ended up being a lot more gimmicky than I... Th like, I didn't know how gimmicky it was as a kid, and now I do. You say gimmicky. I, I don't know if I agree with that, but go on. Yeah, because the fight is very specifically about boost pads and learning to use boost pads to their fullest potential. If you do not do this, you will not win the race, um, and it is basically entirely about learning to boost. Now, when I say gimmicky... Like, it's true that these skills that you learn in this race do translate over to the rest of the game, so it's not like, you know, uh, gimmicky in the sense that you'll never use this stuff again, but it is very almost puzzle-like um, compared to a lot of the other races, I think. Yeah, I, I guess the, the reason I don't like the word is that I found it to be very mechanically intensive. Like, I, I thought that it leaned into one of the fundamental mechanics in the game, which was boosting. The thing that made it, I guess, the, the unique approach of this was that you had to basically chain boost together. Yeah. Like, that, that's something that you didn't, don't really see in the main game because you had to successfully chain boost together. And the design of the race is such that there's 21 boosts total over this... Um, three lap race so seven seven boosts per lap if you miss one of them like if you miss one of these boost uh tracks you will not win the race mm. like you, you can, need to hit... you can probably miss one out of all of them maybe but uh, you, you can you can miss the full boost but i feel like if you actually completely miss one of these boosts you're probably not winning yeah and it's more than just hitting like the boosts are in awkward spots so you need to get you need to master turning at this point you need to have the right approach into the boost and you need to have the correct steering during the boost which is probably the thing that makes it super challenging yeah, and you also need to take advantage of two extra boost mechanics, I'm going to say, that make it a bit harder. So the main thing is that in Diddy Kong Racing, when you go over a boost, if you let go of the accelerator as you hit it, you will go much faster than if you were holding it as you go over it. You get what's called a green boost, where the flame behind your card is green, and you basically need to green boost every single you know, booster. And at, at this point in the game, I had been using that sparingly. To be honest, I was forgetting about it a lot. Uh, but you absolutely need to master this uh, going into this fight. Yeah, and the second hidden mechanic, which is one that up to this point I didn't even know existed, is that if you continue to not hold down on the accelerator as you boost, you go a lot further. So you don't hold down the accelerator when you hit the boost, I knew that, but you need to leave your finger off the accelerator until the boost is finished. And if you are not doing this, you will not finish this race because there's water on this track and the short boost will not get you over the water in certain parts, so you cannot win. So you need to be using this super boost mechanic, chaining these boosts into one another, never falling into the water 
consistently because you've got to do it three times in order to win this race yeah and there was like other little optimizations i had to make too like Whizpig himself is gigantic and if you get run over by him you will just lose the race so mm. you have to make sure that doesn't happen because what will generally happen is that the three or four boosters near the end of the race are the ones where you overtake him and then you know near the start of the lap he's going to overtake you again so you have to make sure to move out of the way um also something i learned during this race is that if you're in the air if you hold backwards on the control stick you actually stay in the air a bit longer and if you hold forward you land faster so I was holding backwards to hit, not hit the water a bit more sometimes and stuff like that. I would say it took me a couple of hours to beat this race. Like, it was hard. It was really difficult. It absolutely lived up to the reputation it had when I was a kid. But ultimately, it was really fucking satisfying to finally beat it. I would say this was comparable to my Mission 3 of F-Zero GX in terms of difficulty and how perfect you had to... I guess nail these mechanics in order to get through it. But because Whizpig is like the final boss or the, you know, the final boss of the first section of the game, it's justified. Like, and I would rather they err on the side of making this boss too challenging than not challenging enough. And it's a fantastic finale. And as James said, when I, there's a specific section where like the hardest part of the race is like boost two to three or boost three to four where after coming off one boost, you need to make this kind of like quite abrupt turn mid boost in order to successfully land on the next one. And getting that right took me several tries because I had to figure out the right approach. I had to figure out the right timing to be turning my cart without turning it too much. And when I finally got it, it felt great. And, and this is why I feel like gimmicky is the wrong word. It, yes, we haven't been required to use this boost control thing before but it is still fundamental to the mechanics of the game and it felt like an extension of what i'd been doing so far in the game just taken up a notch maybe gimmicky isn't the right word but it does feel very how perfect you have to do it or something yeah focused on like a specific mechanic or something like that sure but it's yeah. almost like a tutorial because I was not using this stuff well um, at all. Whereas now I can boost really quickly all the everywhere, which is great. So like you kind of come out the other side of the trial of fire uh, a lot stronger <laughs> and a lot faster for it, which kind of trivialized the rest of the game because I was winning races so much more easily after I conquered Whizpig. Mm -hmm. The uh, figuring out this boost mechanic uh, made the game far easier and it made me feel stupid for not using it earlier <laughs> because yeah. uh, those earlier races I was making so difficult on myself because I wasn't using it. Um, the game was much easier from this point onwards. Yeah, but that's it's kind of fun, right? Like being so much better because of like, your hard work. Uh, but it w it wasn't my hard work that made me better. It was the discovery of a mechanic. It well, wasn't that I was a master. Of it. it wasn't a mastery of boosting, though. It was the fact that I could go far faster off my boosts that really made these races easier. So I felt like it actually, in some ways, cheapened um, some of these later levels because... I just found them, I was just getting through them much easier when I was expecting, I guess, a final challenge. But the other NPC races just weren't up to scratch. Should we Should we have a music break, James, before we get into the uh, final, final set of levels? Yeah, sure. And um, Patrick, I think you were going to choose a very appropriate theme here. 
yeah, it seems like a good time. This is the Whizpig theme. I quite like this because it managed to convey the anxiety you were feeling as you were trying to beat this son of a bitch. Because every time you got close to getting ahead, things he very quickly fell behind. One final note, I do think that the design of this boss race thing, putting all the boosters at the end so that you got to come, I guess, overtake him at the end part of the track is just a really smart thing. Because it, it it lets it lets you be behind the entire way, but still win the race when you hit all those boosts at the end. And yeah, overcoming it is is fantastic. So this is uh, the Whizpig One theme. That was Wizpig 1, and now we're into the final half of the game, which is the last set of races. As a kid, I had no idea these existed, so it was a very pleasant surprise to find them, you know, this fortnight. It's very bizarre, these new set of levels for the first time, as if they're fresh content in this game that you thought you were very familiar with. Um, I actually really liked a couple of the level design for these final ones and was very happy. You know, it felt like a nice reward. Um, for beating Whizpig finally, particularly the last of the four new tracks had this section with a heap of 90 degree turns, like a big zigzag, which I felt like if I had played this level at the start of the game would have destroyed me, um, but after I had mastered tilt turning, you know, it was really satisfying to always go through this section. Yeah, the theming was excellent, like it was just the most yeah. uh, visually entertaining section, and I liked all of the um, the lasers and everything. Like you said, that one part that you mentioned where you get hit by lasers if you don't have the shield, it's taken right from Star Wars. It's just it's just <laughs> the trench from Star Wars, it's, yeah. and it's, it's excellent. Um, there is a path on the right where you won't get hit by lasers as well, but it's a bit tricky to navigate your way through um it's just just cool only problem is too easy uh yeah. this this should have been more challenging but the truth is the earlier uh there were two village races in the second and fourth worlds which were or second and third no sorry the frost world and the final one so second and fourth that were a lot harder to uh to actually get through whereas all of these even the silver coin challenges they only took me a few tries so that's that's the only disappointment i have with them but aesthetically and design wise they were the best of the bunch in a lot of ways yeah the second plane level i'd say is the best plane level by far um i just liked it so much more than the other ones um 
I, I would say that the latter two of the levels were the stronger ones, both theming-wise and track design-wise, but they were really fun. Um, so I, I thought it was a really nice way to like kind of cap out the game. Now, we have one more set of levels to talk about, Patrick, which uh not as good as the rest of the game, in my opinion. Yeah, in fact, they were so bad that once again I didn't even get to them. Um <laughs> so so in order to uh in order to fight against the final boss Wizpig 2, you need to complete a series of mini games. And I did not do these mini games and I did not fight Wizpig 2. But James will be delighted to tell you all about them. Yeah, and I kind of don't blame Patrick here. That basically what they've done is that each set of the worlds has a hidden key, um, and finding the key grants you access to this race. And these races are basically multiplayer levels that they have retrofitted in a single-player game, and the AI just is not able to provide a proper challenge. The the design of these four mini games like for example one is you are in a pterodactyl nest and you need to grab these eggs you can put them into your box and steal them from your opponents and once you have three eggs you win um one is you have three lives in a big temple and you need to shoot the other players until only you are left and you know the other two are similar these are not fun in single player whatsoever. They are very boring. They are trivially easy to beat. There is no strategy, basically. I remember these being fun playing with my brother, like in multiplayer, but man, the AI is just not built for playing these levels. They are very dodgy and very, I don't know, there is zero strategy. They were not fun. Yeah, I, I got to them and then I was like, I don't want to do these. <laughs> like, I, I want to go back to racing carts. Isn't this a racing game? And I uh, yeah. yeah, never touched them again. But I think that uh, the process of unlocking them is at least somewhat interesting. Yeah, I actually really enjoyed finding the keys. So the keys are hidden in one of the levels in each of the areas. Um, the first one is trivially easy to find. You can't miss it. And then the second two are a bit more hidden. And then the third one requires you to do a bit of, you know, digging around to find. I actually <laughs> forgot where it was and had to look it up. So what I did like about these keys being hidden in the level is that what ended up happening was that I would go into a level, ignore the race itself entirely, and just drive around the level looking mm. behind things, trying to find the keys. And this actually led me to discovering a bunch of shortcuts that I didn't know about and learning more about the tracks. So I actually really appreciated this inclusion from that point of view. It was kind of fun just driving around the tracks, ignoring the race and finding the shortcuts. And then with the final key, you had to like almost do a puzzle to find it, which was I thought was pretty cool. I think that you raise a good point that the process of finding the keys, helping you learn the tracks is quite cool. Um, I liked the shortcut, but we didn't really talk about the shortcuts. I like the shortcuts in this game a lot because a lot of them didn't save a lot of time. Like there were very minor optimizations and I discovered a lot of them when I was going for the silver coins because I'd be like, where the hell is that last silver coin? And then I'd <laughs> find it. Um, the way shortcuts, shortcuts are best when they are just minor shortcuts where they gain you a second or two and particularly when they're more difficult to actually execute or get to. And I think that Diddy Kong Racing absolutely fulfilled that. Like, uh, like there's one in particular which I quite liked on the, um, 
on the village level on the fourth world where you have to drop down a well and if you drop down the well you you know which is difficult to do because if you're going too fast over it you just sail over it you um you find a speed pad down there as well as some bananas and it will give you just a slight edge over your opponents yeah one that i liked was on the triceratops boss fight the first time you fight him um there's a shortcut through the mountain that has a speed boost in it which mm. helps you actually beat the thing and then the second time they take away the sh the, the speed boost which makes it actually slower than going the normal way but you kind of have to try it and fail it to realize that the other thing you can do james is you can just save up some of your own boosts and if you yeah. save the blue balloons you can still utilize that sh shortcut and mario kart does this a bit too where some shortcuts are only accessible when you have a mushroom or a boost um and in this game they often filled shortcuts with certain bad balloons that made going down there risky if you had a good balloon mm. um and i liked that a lot too there were definitely a bunch of shortcuts that um only existed there for doing the map you know with a plane or a hover cart mm -hmm. um which i thought was cool now one thing that i thought this game could have done better is that whenever you do a map like the next time you do it for the silver coin race it's always with the same vehicle and only after doing both of these races that are required for the story can you go back into these levels with a different craft so just playing through the story, I never actually ended up playing any of these levels with a different option, which I thought, you know, kind of is a waste with all this cool extra stuff that they've added. Like, as a kid, I loved messing around and using the plane on every single level. <laughs> um, but like, I, I just do not engage with that kind of thing very much, you know, as an adult. It's almost like sandboxy in a way. I, I um, guess for me, because the kart racing is the most fun, I'd have literally zero reason to ever use the plane or the hovercraft. Like, I just don't. <laughs> I'm not interested in using them. Whereas you'd yeah. be a kind of degenerate who wants to do every race as a hovercraft race, and I'd be like, I don't want to play with you anymore, James. <laughs> <laughs> Even the races where the silver coin is high in the sky. Exactly. I'll figure yeah. out a cool jump. <laughs> After you've done all that, you unlock Whizpig 2, which I know that many people consider is still is still very difficult, but not as difficult as the first race. What did you think of it? Uh, it took me about half an hour of solid retries um, to beat him. It was a lot more tricky than, you know, the, the other dragon. plane levels. Yeah. But I found it more fun because it was less about... The routing in this level is really fun. Like, there's asteroids flying about. There's this room. There's this Whizpig's throne room, which has lasers everywhere. And you have to figure out which parts of the room, you know, aren't getting shot at with lasers. So it's kind of, like, weird because it's not obvious until you try it a few times where the safe spots in the room are. Isn't there a shield just before that room as well? Yeah, you can do that as well if you want to. Mm. I figured out how to... Because I wanted to grab the boost balloon instead or the rocket uh, instead that makes sense. so i just figured out how to fly through it without the shield uh i i thought it was actually quite fun i probably liked it more than the dragon for sure it wasn't too hard and the level design is just fun uh, mm. and i think it's a great way to cap out the game um so you know good inclusion there the final thing i wanted to touch on we didn't get to touch on it but the game has a couple of extra things there is a time trial mode for every single race which you can do and if you do them you unlock a new character who's quite speedy 
in the past, like if I had more time with this game, I would have engaged with that a bit more just because I love time trials and racing games. I think they're really fun, uh, especially in Mario Kart. And I think that the inclusion of this kind of thing gives more advanced players, you know, just kind of like an infinitely scaling difficulty challenge across the game if they're interested in that. Um, also, once you beat the game, you know, you can play in mirror mode with different silver coin challenge placements. Which is awesome. Like, that's that's just, you know, more good content. Yeah, so there's actually, like, a lot of stuff to do in this game, right? Like, there's multiplayer modes, which I imagine are more fun with multiple people, but I hated them, so... And then the only other thing is the Grand Prix, which, unfortunately, once again, far too easy. Like, it yeah. took me two tries maximum to get through every single one of these, and the first two to three I did on my first try. So, yeah, I, I feel like it's kind of unfortunate. Once you learn how to do that, those boost properly that you just can afford to make mistakes and still win races instead of it being like the tight enjoyable challenge it was earlier on on those village levels so it's not it's not an intrinsically bad thing because it happens towards the end of the game and obviously in terms of your time trial performance like your ability to hone your mechanics against yourself it's fine it's just that in terms of the game actually challenging me it kind of got a bit less interesting after that initial initial phase. All right, I think we're uh, getting towards the end now. So did we want to give our final impressions of Diddy Kong Racing? Yeah, of course. So I think Diddy Kong Racing is is a great game, which which is a weird thing to say because realistically, I only loved 50% of this game, which is like the kart racing. But the kart racing, in particular, the silver coin challenges are so good that it's worth uh, dealing with the kind of mediocre plane races and hover car races. The control you have of the cart is fantastic, but extremely challenging to overcome. The power-ups are designed in such a way that they're not ridiculously overpowered, but still can ha be impactful. Um, there is a tremendous amount of strategy in how you approach these races with the multiple choices you get to make between boosts, silver coins, balloons, bananas. The major problem I have is that the level design is just a bit too simple, but so much care has been put into crafting these races, even if they are on the simple side. The highs of Diddy Kong Racing are so high that it's easy to overlook the areas in which I think it falls fall short. It's it's a great game. Even if you're not really into this genre, you should still have a great time with it. It's exceeded my expectations, and I'm really I'm really happy for it. Good game. I'm interested into trying another kart racer now. Although I'm skeptical it's going to live up to just how good the <laughs> silver coin things are. Like, I, I don't know how, if, if a game, if a kart racer doesn't have silver coins, how can it be better than Diddy Kong Racing? That's, that's my question for you. Diddy Kong Racing is a fantastic game. I think it includes content for all skill levels, from small children to adults. There is, you know, a bit of difficulty for everyone here, from the, you know, gentle beginnings to the incredibly challenging Whizpig fights and the, the harder of the Silver Coin challenges. Um, it manages to be just a really enjoyable experience from start to finish. Unlike Patrick, I still really enjoy the extra types of carts, so... You know, basically, I love everything about this game other than the key uh, missions, which, you know, there's four of them and they don't take very long, so whatever, to be honest. Um, I think the Silver Coin Challenges, as Patrick said, are really cool and incorporate a layer of strategy that isn't seen in a lot of kart races. 
Um, and I think that something that's extremely important to the experience is that, you know, gradual increase of your mastery over the turning um, and getting really good at the game. Uh, the item system is just so much better for a single player experience than, you know, Mario Kart's often frustrating rubber band mechanics. Like, while I can see the merit of those in a multiplayer experience here, you know, this more low-key system that allows you to experiment and upgrade your items is a lot more fun. There's a lot of variety here um, and a lot of, you know, uh, room to choose what kind of content you want to engage with um, at different points in the experience. So, you know, from start to finish, I just absolutely adored my time with this game. It was in some way, in some things I enjoyed less than I did as a child, but some things I enjoyed a lot more. And I think that that goes to show, you know, the strength of this game for all ages, really. I strongly recommend you checking this one out if you've never played it before. I think it's a fantastic time. Just be sure to push through maybe that first hour of feeling like the control's a bit clunky. You'll get it if you hang in there. You just need to put in a bit of effort to master the controls. But once you do, very satisfying. Really love this game. Is this the best kart racer you've played, James? Um, I'm not sure. Like, I think that the more recent Mario Kart games track design is just so much better than this. Um, mm. however, it does lack that like layer of strategy. So it's kind of like the drifting sounds better. Yeah, it oh sounds my God, like it's the... so much more enjoyable. That's like that's my main criticism of this game is that the drifting mm. isn't as fun, and that is the thing that I like the most in kart races. Honestly, it's just that I reckon the rest of this game, you know, carries it pretty well. It seems like Mario Kart would be the perfect game if it could if it could take the silver coins, balloons, and maybe from from Diddy Kong Racing and fuse it into its more modern track design. Because I agree that F Zero GX's track design is better than this. It's just that a lot of care has been put into the placement of items, and it's very good because of it. Yeah, mm. yeah. Um. I would want to do another kart racer on the show. We might go for a Mario Kart, although I really want to do Crash Team Racing as well. We'll do I it like... next episode, James. Next episode. <laughs> mm. <laughs> we actually, we already have that one decided. We do. So, so James, I guess the key question here is like, is it possible to annoy someone into submission? Because the answer to that question is yes, it is possible to annoy someone into submission. I oh my God. I Patrick... <laughs> i would say for roughly the last or year and a half one of our listeners r2 sinus every time i post any episode is like hey are you guys gonna do ecstatica and i'm like no what is ecstatica and it's a survival horror game made for ms dos where the characters appear to be a series of blobs fused together <laughs> and i saw this game i was like hmm we will add it to our wish list but then the episodes went on and on. Hey guys, it's surely nearly time for Ecstatica, right? You'll be doing Ecstatica any time, right? Man, see, from my perspective, this guy listened to our show for quite a while, <laughs> listened to hours of us talking, and gave us a nice suggestion for a game he liked. And Patrick was always like, yeah, we'll get to it. Yeah, we'll get to it. <laughs> Cruelly stringing this poor guy along until... Enough was enough. <laughs> I guess there are two sides to every story, but R2 Sinus, it is my delight to announce to you and the rest of the world that we will be doing Ecstatica for our next episode. 
So I know basically nothing about this game. I know it has tank controls. I know a little bit of what it looks like. And apparently it's a spooky horror game. And it was made for MS-DOS. So it's an ancient horror game. So if this isn't good R2 signers, I'll be holding you personally accountable. And I will be <laughs> shitposting you on Twitter. So this better be a good game. I mean, if anything, the art style is very... Man, it's like they just wanted to try something completely different because instead of polygons, everything is constructed with spheres and it looks very Distinct. unique. I'm, yeah, yeah, that, that's one word for it. I'm, I'm a bit apprehensive, but I think uh, like I'm interested to play the game for sure. Yeah, and the thing is, who knows? Maybe we get into it. And I think that uh, it, with games like this, you it stops the graphics can kind of stop being so noticeable once you get into it. So it could very well be that this is an underappreciated masterpiece and r2 sinus was trying to do us a favor but um we're gonna have to wait till next fortnight to find out if that's the case or not so thank you so much to everyone for listening to us talk about diddy kong racing um you we are the retrospectors podcast patrick arthur and james turlings you can find all of our content on our website which is rspodcast.net it has every single episode we've ever done we're up to episode 86 now so heaps of content for you to consume as well as a bunch of articles that james and i've written about games old and new um most importantly there's a link there to our discord server our discord server is where we do most of our community interaction including taking recommendations so if you want to annoy me for the next year and a half well maybe you'll get your game featured on this show so if you have any suggestions or any criticisms or just want to join the conversation i highly recommend you join our discord server there'll be a link to it in the show notes as well as on our website and i think that just about does it so we'll see you in a fortnight for ecstatica i'll see you then